Welcome, everyone, to episode 171 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we just had to cover the true savior of cinema, the second coming of Spider-Man 3, in so many different ways, I suppose, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Before we get to that, however, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing? Ironic, Scott, that it's the savior of cinema, because it's not even cinema, as we all know. Um, but... I guess that's just that's just how it goes. Um, but yeah, Scott, I'm doing I'm doing well. Um, it was obviously a big event to go see this movie yesterday. It's absolutely insane yeah. the numbers that it's doing um, at the box office, especially when you consider that you know COVID is getting bad, starting to get a little bit bad in places and you know the major places. I mean, like New York, I know for example where yeah. you are, it's uh, you know maybe Quite as bad as anywhere right now in the in the country um and but yeah 250 million i mean blew the, all the projections out of the water that like sony had for this movie uh um, its first day and, with thursday previews was 120 yeah which i think was and the original like projection for the weekend <laughs> it's because people were are, are going to see it multiple times like i've i've seen yeah. a, ton, a bunch of people on my letterbox who have already seen it like two and three times um it's like so game, man. yeah yeah, it is. Um, I mean, this is the end game of Spider-Man movies for for sure. Um, but of the Spider-Man yeah, I mean, meta. I, but I mean, there's another trilogy already in the works. <laughs> sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. We all know. Um, but it was a sold out. You know, of course, my screening was sold out. Um, it was, you know, had some good audience reactions, but not over the top like this video that has been going around on Twitter, which is just absolute nonsense. Um <laughs> So it was a, you know, it was a great experience, you know, a great theatrical experience to to have that again, probably for the first time, you know, since Endgame, where it's been like every seat filled, you know, people cheering and stuff during the movie. Maybe Rise of Skywalker, maybe. Yeah, um, but people were definitely not cheering during the movie. Um, I will say that during Rise of Skywalker, I I got an audience who I guess was on the same page as me, but. Okay. Yeah, no, no one was, no one was screaming when Adam Driver shows up at the end of the movie. Yeah, um, maybe during the the kiss there were some oh, audience yeah. reactions, but probably yeah. groaning. I'm sure there's some game. just atrocious Twitter video out there of of a crowd reaction to the the tongue kiss. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Anyway, yeah, no big event film. No doubt whatsoever. I think I was talking to you about this last night where, you know, it's there have been some movies like Dune is an example of this, actually, which only opened to 40 million in the US as a reminder um, where like it was very hard to get a premium screening seat in New York City, especially at the IMAX that I go to, which is like the premium, like the premium of premium IMAX theaters in New York. So a lot of people will go out of their way to go to it. So it's hard to it's hard to get a seat sometimes at um dune you know some of the some of the other marvel movies for example on like the opening night opening weekend um unless you're going at some odd times spider-man 
and this is like full in game. Like they have like it looks it seems like half the half the screens in the theater are showing it. Every single one. I'm saying every single regular screen, IMAX, Dolby, completely sold out all weekend. Nonsense. Like impossible to get a ticket, basically. Um, and I know that's not the case everywhere in the US, but the fact that that was happening, I mean, that is something that is very pre-COVID in terms of, you know, I'd, I'd forgotten that this happened around big movies sometimes, you know? Yeah. And 250 million. That's like the third largest opening weekend all time all ever. All time. Yeah. Um, in the US, obviously. And that's just like, whoa, <laughs> in COVID, especially here in New York, you, like you mentioned, LA bought like parts of the Northeast of Boston, Michigan, Chicago area not good <laughs> with Omicron right now and not a high percentage of the population boosted. Um, it was pretty, pretty startling to still see that there wasn't much hesitancy to go back for this movie. You know, it's, it's maybe like a bit of a dire joke to say, you know, people didn't care whether they got COVID going to this movie, but that's kind of how it looks on paper. I will say the amount of masking in my theater in New York city, I was actually surprising you know surprisingly impressed with uh because in the past couple months it's been very very lax with the masking in the theater and at least around me from what i could see i went to a dolby screening um people were pretty pretty conforming to the mask i think people were taking it seriously um insofar as i'm gonna go see this movie and COVID is bad but not so much that i'm not gonna go see the movie which is interesting i think we can have a conversation later on after the break maybe about box office and what we think that means going in light of spider-man making 253 million and yeah. alley making 2.5 million <laughs> this weekend fair um, enough i mean who knows how much more it would have made if it hadn't come out opposite spider-man my guess is not very much uh but okay. we can talk about that later right now let's talk about the movie right let's talk as we talked about already let's do it um yeah our topic of conversation is the fourth fifth if you count venom mcu film of the year but the one that most seems to have electrified crowds back in the multiplexes and the movie theaters, just like we were just talking about. And that is director John Watts and actor Tom Holland's third standalone Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man No Way Home. Picking up immediately after the concluding events of 2019 Spider-Man Far From Home, Mysterio has doctored a video that reveals Spider-Man was behind the attacks in London and the masked web slinger's true identity is none other the New York high schooler, Peter Parker. The lives of Peter, along with his friend Ned, played by Jacob Batalon, his girlfriend MJ, played by Zendaya, and his Aunt May, played by Marissa Tomei, are thrown into chaos. And the former three's upcoming high school senior year is anything but straightforward. With their hopes to get into MIT, lol, by the way, quashed by the court of public opinion, Peter seeks a solution from none other than the magician he went to space with in Avengers Infinity War, Benedict Cumberbatch's Dr. Stephen Strange. Strange has a solution for Peter, one that involves everyone forgetting that he and his alter ego, Spider-Man, are the same person. But when things go awry, as Peter starts to add caveats to Strange's spell, Strange must contain it before it swings the door to the multiverse wide open. At first, it seems like Strange may have successfully contained his spell, but it doesn't take long for beings from other universes to start popping up hunting Peter down, sending Peter's life further into disarray as he must deal with the consequences of having brought these beings to his earth. Scott, is the fourth MCU film in the year just too much, even for a Spider-Man lover like yourself? 
Or was No Way Home the perfect Spider-Man salve, reminding you of the magic of the MCU's best moments, especially when it comes to putting the web slinger on the big screen? Yeah, I mean, you said it there, Scott. I'm definitely a Spider-Man lover. Um, Obviously, I think I tend to be on our podcast the more negative, the more cynical about, you know, the MCU and these superhero movies and all that, especially this year. I've been pretty negative on most of them um, and not really a fan of the direction that the MCU has gone post-Endgame. And it's kind of funny, you know, I was saying to you that you know this has been hyped up obviously as this is the spider-man like right like we know that we knew that alfred molina was going to be returning as doc ock that was in the trailer um we knew that there was going to be a multiverse and so the possibility of other old characters returning um, i mean jamie fox had was put on instagram photos mm -hmm. of himself on set or something like that and we should just say probably up front we're going to be talking spoilers the whole time um yeah. Everyone's probably seen it at this point, but uh, just, you know, there's really, there's Checking really no the box way to office avoid receipts. It. it seems like everyone has seen it. Yeah, there's no way to avoid it. But anyway, um, and, you know, that for me, I, as a Spider-Man lover, again, I am, I love the character, but the definitive version for me has always been the Sam Raimi movies and specifically the first two with Tobey Maguire. I mean, Tobey Maguire is my Spider-Man, my Peter Parker, always will be. Um and so the possibility of him coming back obviously has been there since the multiverse, you know, since it was became clear that the multiverse was going to be happening. And yet I feel like I didn't really start having that much excitement for this movie until maybe a couple of days before when I started seeing the reactions. I started seeing some other friends of mine who are also big uh, fans of the Raimi films were giving it good reviews. And I thought, OK, this, you know, this could be something here. I think, it, you know, it was a combination of, I mean, number one, like, now that I'm just like a adult with a full-time job or whatever, like these, the movies, it's like, I just take it a week. I've been taking it a week at a time, right? Because it's, you know, I have other things that are constantly on my mind that I'm doing. It's not one of those things where there are very few movies where it's like, oh, I have the date marked out in my head and I'm, you know, looking forward to anticipating this for two months. It's kind of just like, all right, well, what's the movie this week? And it happened yeah. to be Spider-Man this week. So it was, get, get you know, that, it was that. He's got a life. Yeah, uh, it was that. And also, I think, you know, I think there was part of me that was ner- very nervous about it because, again, let's uh, just bring out the elephant in the room. You know, the two fandom things that mean the most to me one is spider-man the other one is star wars right and star wars had their chance to do the you know the land the plane land the ship um and pull off the satisfying ending trilogy um with rise of skywalker and just completely went in the wrong direction spit in the face of anyone who was a fan of um episode eight the last jedi obviously we were um we were both fans, you know, huge fans of that movie um, and kind of just said, you know, look, not only do we think this was bad, but we're not we're, we're retconning this. Right. This was not Star Wars. We are just getting rid of this altogether. Um, and so, of course, I was nervous going into this movie because, again, we think that, you know, the the, the hints were there that, you know, we're going to get some callbacks, a lot of nostalgia to the Raimi films. There are people out there, for as many people as there are like me who love those movies, there are people out there who think those movies are cringeworthy, they have not aged well, the effects don't hold up, they're cheesy, the acting's bad, and just don't like them. Um, 
So of course I, there's a part of me that's cynical seeing what they did with Star Wars that, hey, they're going to take this thing that I loved and have loved for a long time. And they're going to say, no, this needs to be fixed. This was bad. This wasn't Spider-Man. Spider-Man now is Tom Holland. It is this MCU version of Spider-Man, which obviously is very, it's very different from, um, you know, Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker, Spider-Man from the, the Raimi movies. Um, it's, he's not the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, really, like these are not the street level adventures that the Sam Raimi movies were, right? He went to space, right? I mean, it's a joke in, uh, I don't even remember which movie it was, but it's a, it's a joke that, um, you know, Spider-Man has been to space. Um, he's, this one. you know, Iron, they made a joke Iron about Man it in Jr. One. Well, no, but where's the line that where Nick Fury says, like, you, oh, you've been to yeah, space probably or no whatever? Way home, then. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, or far from far from from home. home. Yeah, I think that's where it was. But anyway, um, yeah, he's been to space, right? Like he's Iron Man Junior. He's Iron Man's protege. None of that was obviously part of the Raimi films. Um, This is a lot of build up to say that they did it right. Um, You know, obviously, again, we're talking spoilers here, so I'll just throw it out there. Uh, Tobey Maguire is back, right? He returns in this movie. Alfred Molina's Doc Ock is there. Nor, uh, William Willem Dafoe returns as Norman Osborn, as the Green Goblin. The iconic characters from the Raimi movies, you know, obviously with the exception, we don't get Kirsten Dunst's MJ. Um, we don't see James Franco. Rosemary Harris is not with us anymore. So obviously she could not have played Aunt May. But, um, oh, and you get Sandman. Don't leave him out. Iconic characters from the Raimi yeah, trilogy. Sure. Uh, yeah. Thomas Hayden Church returning as Flint Marco as Sandman from Spider-Man 3. Um, And, Scott, they did the opposite of what I was talking about, right, with what Star Wars did. Um, They take all of these disparate Spider-Man universes, because also we have, you know, Andrew Garfield, the Amazing Spider-Man movies, which I was not a fan of, definitely. Um, Andrew Garfield comes back. We have, you know, again, you mentioned Jamie Foxx as Electro. We have Reese uh, Ifans as the Lizard um you know from those those movies and it says look um and and this is almost like tying in spider-man into the spider-verse right and the the idea that anyone could wear the mask right that was the central theme of into the spider-verse and that's the theme of this movie right they keep it consistent like andrew garfield toby Maguire, tom holland whoever is your spider-man whoever you know you is the one that you identify with emotionally connect to the most they are Spider-Man, right? Um, anyone can can wear that mask. And that's part of what makes Spider-Man special is that there are these different versions of it. And different people can find the version that they connect to the most. And that can be their Spider-Man. But everyone's Spider-Man is equally valid. Um, and so, again, that that is the type of thing that they did not do in The Rise of Skywalker. And, like that's the direction that you thought they were going in right after the last Jedi, right? That that's what the last Jedi is all about, right? Like Ray doesn't have to be special, right? She doesn't have to, you know, be from the Skywalker lineage or whatever to have the force broom boy, right? He has force powers at the end of the movie. He's just some random kid. Um, she doesn't have and to then be Palpatine's granddaughter or yes, whatever the yes. theory was or however. It um, and know. then they just, you know, again, they threw all that out the window. And they don't do that here. I w- and I was so worried, you know, that they were going to just try to MCUize everything. Um, and they don't. They let all of these Spider-Man, Spider-Men, Peter Parkers 
be their own thing and they say you know that's awesome that this they are all spider-man this is what spider-man is about so in that regard the movie is a triumph it it is it gets exactly what spider-man is what spider-man is supposed to represent i really like the direction that the story takes in the third act it gets darker spider-man you know tom holland's peter parker he has to make some difficult choices um it is going to be an interesting road ahead for him but again that is what spider-man has always been about like there is always an identity crisis going on there's always that trying to strike the balance between being peter and being spider-man and you know there comes a point in really all of these these spider-man's journey where they have to decide you know which is it going to be because it's clear that you can't really have both and the movie very clearly and explicitly makes peter makes tom holland make that choice here and he chooses the hard you know he makes the harder choice here and the movie even has the you know extra level of sticking the knife in even further by showing us this coffee shop scene at the end where you know they've forgotten him um and they seem to be better off ned and mj seem to be better off they've gotten into mit you know they're they're happy they're still friends whatever um and peter has to live with that now now again we don't know what's going to happen going forward you know that they may not keep it like that forever but um you know they went for that and i appreciate that on the other hand I, you know so I, as a spider-man fan i loved the movie uh you know it is a great spider-man movie it gets what spider-man is all about taking my spider-man fan fan hat off for a minute and putting on my wannabe film critic hat it's an mcu movie um the visuals are not very pleasing to look at um every freaking action scene has to happen in the dark i mean there's there's one i guess there's the the bridge there's the car you know when doc ock first appears and the the admissions counselor from mit is in the car and he saves her the first scene where jamie fox and um thomas hayden church are introduced you cannot see a single thing that is going on in that scene and they even say it when 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 peter is going towards the like battlefield or whatever and MJ and Ned are talking to him, like on the walkie talkie. They're like, well, we can't really see. It's kind of dark. And I'm like, yeah, I can't see either. It it looks terrible. And the Jamie Foxx electro visuals, I didn't even like them in the first, you know, really at all. Like the weird garish, like yellow that it is. It looks kind of cheap, to be honest with you. Um, the visuals are just not, you know, there's no liveliness to them. Um there's not, there's no color. Again, it's hard to see at times. They're edited not, you know, the editing is not great. You're really close up in the action and you can't always get a good idea of, you know, the larger scale of what's going on, which there's a lot going on at times because there's a lot of villains and there's a lot of heroes in this movie and, you know, they're involved in, in the battles. But um, so, so, you know, again, I, I don't like that about it. That's an MCU problem for me. And the humor just does not work. And there's way too much of it in this movie. Um, you know, obviously the Raimi movies, they had their jokes and whatnot. But when it came time for the emotional moments to happen, the movie really leaned into that. And that doesn't work for some people, right? Some people feel it was went too far into the, down that road. Um, here, again, like with other MCU movies, they don't... they 
they are there's a tendency to not let the emotional moments happen and to throw in a punchline instead that it doesn't always happen in this movie there are definitely some strong scenes where the movie does just let the characters breathe and say hey you're gonna have like you're gonna talk about your feelings right we're gonna have some we're gonna let this situation the seriousness the gravity of the situation be what it is um but too often there is the tendency to punctuate a you know climactic or important moment with a punchline when it doesn't feel right when it doesn't feel consistent maybe with the character I mean, the final battle scene, right? Like, there's a moment where the three Spider-Men just stop and basically just do a bit about how, oh, Toby and Andrew Garfield don't know what the Avengers are. And Andrew Garfield's like, oh, are they a band? Were you in a band? And I'm sitting there like, what are we doing? Like, this is the middle of the fight. Why are we doing this? And, I mean, it would be one thing, like, it would be one thing if these jokes were actually funny. and But they're not. Like, I, I, I didn't laugh at this movie. Uh, maybe I'm just, like, you know, hard-hearted or whatever, but um, that is a that is a problem. So, again, putting on my film critic hat, I do have problems with the movie. I do think it is, you know, still probably the best movie of Phase Four so far. Um, but you know, it still has the same MCU issues, and I worry about that going forward, right? Because the movies going forward are not going to have this fan service nostalgia element that makes me still love this movie. Like I do love this movie. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I love it because it has, it's very personal to me and it gets that whole philosophy of Spider-Man, right? Um, I don't love it because I think it is a incredible action superhero movie, right? Like I just think it's fits squarely in the MCU and that will be fine for some people. For me, I have issues with that. On the whole, though, amazing experience. Woo! All right, I think that should just about do it for this episode. No. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of thoughts. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's it's good to have a lot of thoughts. It's, it's why we talk into a mic to probably no one at the other end for an hour plus every single week. But look, no, Spider-Man No Way Home, truly an exhilarating type experience it doesn't quite live up to end game for me in terms of the theater just talking about the theatrical experience but it's certainly closer to that than anything else that you know i've seen since since in game that's for sure crowd for me was like sounds similar to yours in that it was a responsible amount of vocalization not so yeah i mean you talk about the twitter video going around i've heard some other Crazy stories from some other people who have seen it this weekend that just they just seem like nonsense to me. Uh, no reason to be to be, I don't know, just like going crazy in a movie period, even in game. I think some of the reactions were a bit a bit overkill. Um, that aside, I, yeah, I enjoyed this movie. I, I thought I, I definitely laughed sometimes. Most of the jokes did not did not work. Though. I do agree with that like the burrito joke, the Willem Dafoe burrito joke. It's that's so one that stuck out to me with what that oh, character man. is like. I was like, what are we doing here? Like, no way would Willem Dafoe's Norman Osborn ever be like, I'll take a burrito. Like, stupid. Yeah. Yeah, look, there's there's several moments like that stuck out. You know, the the Avengers band one in the middle of the fight scene is definitely another one. Um, and But yeah, when they decide to turn that off finally, you know, in some of the big, big emotional beats at the very end of the movie, <laughs> turns out it's actually an emotional moment. Look at that an MCU film. Who knew? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm definitely on on board with your with your thoughts there. 
everything else, the the fan serviciness of it all. I mean, yeah, it's it's done correctly. I think the way you summed it up around sort of just validating every potential iteration of Spider-Man as being cool and include and including all of that. Like it, it's crazy when you include your fandom, right? Like when you include everyone who's a fan of your property, how everyone's yeah. gonna love it. When you say this know. is for everyone, right? <laughs> yeah. Well I mean to be fair, there's so much toxicity in the in the in the Star Wars fan base at this point where I, I think that it's kind of like a culture war almost where you can't mm-hmm. actually play both sides maybe of that of that fight. I'm not sure. Um maybe you can, maybe you can't. I don't know. No one, no one seemed to have Force tried. Awakens yet, came, so Force Awakens. Force Awakens came close. Where I will say, Force Awakens probably came closer. That was like pre. Movie, I don't know tribalism in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, that is true, but it's pre Last Jedi. Anyway, Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, wait. Is it 2019 again? Um. Yeah. Look, I really enjoyed this film. <laughs> I thought the ending was just incredibly stupid, personally. Um. How the whole which part the specifically? Whole, yeah. Oh, just the, the I mean, we're talking spoilers. I mean, the whole notion of like people are going to forget that you're Peter Parker, like who Peter Parker is like, what What does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. It do- doesn't it doesn't functionally make sense in any way whatsoever. Um, I mean, I can just talk about why I think it's just crazy. Like, so what is what does that mean? Like people people remember who Spider-Man is, but people have no idea who Peter Parker is. So shouldn't MJ and Ned, for example, know that they've been helping Spider-Man, but not know his alter I- ego identity is? Right, like because he goes. How to, does it work? He goes to he goes to the graveside, right, for Aunt May, and yeah. he says to Happy, like, "Oh, I knew, I knew him through, or I knew her through Spider Man." So, like, you know, again, everyone like knows who Spider Man. Like, I don't know. It's just like yeah. it's confusing. And and for that point, Happy knows should know that he has worked with Spider Man, but again, doesn't know who Spider Man is apparently. Uh, it's just like the, the crazy. It's just like kind of some really crazy yeah. logic that, like, a, a thousand percent does not tie up. Like, mecha- someone's gonna really have to mechanic- sit down and explain it to me. The mechanics of it definitely have some some flaws, I guess. On the whole, like the idea of it, right? Because the idea of it works for me. That, like, again, with great power comes great responsibility, right? That's Spider Man. What's happening really here is he's having to face that responsibility. He's on his own now, right? Like. Yeah, it's it's lonely to wear the Spider-Man suit. Sometimes you yeah. see that I mean, in the, all the, the movies. Yeah, I mean to that point, the theme works really well, which is why I actually think mm-hmm. one of the you know the last the coffee shop scene you're talking about. I think that's a great scene. I think it's a fantastic yeah. use of the premise. I just think the premise is really bad. Um, but look, that's probably my biggest complaint of the whole thing. So I guess I shouldn't be complaining too much. Um, or I should say that that puts my complaint in perspective, maybe. But yeah, look, I think that having the Spider-Man back, you know, all three iterations, all three live action iterations being back is great. You know, I was joking with you and I think with friend of the podcast, Jay, as well, where I was basically saying that the greatest accomplishment of this film is that it made me want to go watch the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. I mean, he's genuinely amazing in this movie. Um, he, He really is. Andrew Garfield is something else. I mean, and I said this to you yesterday, too, like no, no shade at all towards Tom Holland or Tobey Maguire, but Andrew Garfield's running circles around them in this movie. Um, and that's just how good I think he is in this. Um, I just think that he's at, he's acting. Don't agree. On, acting he is, he is good yeah. on a different level. I mean, they're all acting on different levels cause they're all doing their own Spider-Man and doing their own things. But I just think his performance, I found particularly impressive in this, both from, uh, you know, sheer in the movie performance, but also at a meta level too. I mean, there's so much meta going on in this. 
in this film, frankly, um, as it relates to the other two Spider-Man um, franchises that came before the MCU one. But all in all, I, I think, yeah, besides the humor just being a, a way off off tune. And I was again, I was talking about this with 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 Jay. It's like they they had this idea where they did they did it with Guardians of the Galaxy and it worked. It did work in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, in my opinion. Have you seen the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie? I can't remember. The first one? Yeah. Okay, I can't remember which which movie movies you've actually seen and which ones you haven't. Um, it's Doctor Strange and Thor Ragnarok. Those are the two you haven't seen, right? And Guardians 2. Guardians 2. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I think that it works as like a bit and as the characters' personalities for Guardians of the Galaxy. But the success of that humor convinced them that they needed to do that in every MCU movie. Mm-hmm. And it has gotten old. It has gotten very old. Um, it feels like some sort of like A-B tested Seth Rogen comedy where like every joke has been like fine-tuned and tested to precision. And they want ev- every single character to be funny. Not yeah. everyone is funny, guys. Like, sorry yeah, to break on it this to podcast, you. That's just, just reality. Me, guys. It's just me that's funny on this podcast. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I not, neither of us are funny. That's that's the truth of it. Um, but look, I think I think overall, it's just it's a huge mistake to think that that you need to inject these. Like part of part of what makes good humor in movies work is that it's you're not being like bombarded with it. It's like maybe it's why we aren't a huge fan of like mainstream comedies that often these days. But it's like when the humor is sparse and it's done well, then it's good. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I just I don't I don't understand the obsession with it, I guess, because everyone's paying money to go see the movies. They assume that it must be because of the humor, I guess. If it isn't broke, don't fix it in their mind. But I mean, I do think the humor is a bit broken. I think it's fine even for my, like even like Spider-Man to maybe be like this, like one Spider-Man to be like this. Right. But like, well, yeah, you have Blizzard, you have Green Goblin, you have Doc Ock making jokes in this movie. Like what? Jamie Foxx is like cracking humor, although he has some good jokes in there, but like he's cracking jokes too. Everyone's cracking jokes in this. Um, and I'm glad we're all throwing material at the wall to see what works, but like maybe we should stop. Um, all in all, though, I enjoyed the big set. I mean, like the big set piece at the end, the Statue of Liberty. Sure, it's at night, it's in the dark, blah, 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 whatever. I thought that was really cool. I thought how they, how like the, the arc of the Spider-Men in the fight as like, starting to work together. I, I I thought that was really well done. I really enjoyed again anything meta they were doing with with the other with with Sam Raimi and Tommy or Sam Raimi, Tommy McGuire and Andrew Garfield. I think actually worked really well in this. And yeah, it was just a, it was a joy to watch. I did have problems with it. Um I've talked about some of those problems already, but it's just it was a really enjoyable film to go to and see yeah. it. and I definitely haven't of the big blockbusters this year, you take Dune out. I've had I haven't had that much as much fun watching a blockbuster this year as I did watching Spider-Man No Way Home. And I'm hoping that I get it two in a row next week, the Matrix Resurrections, but um, we'll see. But yeah, for now, Spider-Man No Way Home, a lot of fun to watch. And I just want to add to that, like, you know, obviously this movie made a ton of money. It is a lot of fan service and nostalgia moments. Um, it, you know, it thrives off of that. There will be plenty of people who will say this kind of thing is the nadir of cinema. And you know what? They may be right. And, you know, some some of the time I will be, you know, most of the time, even I am there with them on on this point. Um, This is not the movie where you're going to get me to say that just because of, you know, again, Spider-Man and what the character means to me. So it was either David Sims or. 
I forget who, but I think he said his, his review was if this is the nadir of cinema, at least it's very watchable. Um, right. Yeah, that was him probably a bit that, of a yeah. cynical take, but um, he's not wrong. It's very watchable. It does. It does. I thought it was actually some people were saying the pacing was off in this. I thought it was fine. Um, I didn't really have too much problem with the pacing. Yeah. Talking about the on that note too, pacing and whatnot, like the direction of this film, like I also was it. I mean, David Ehrlich's so like he's, David Ehrlich reviewing a superhero movie is hilarious always. But talking about how like John Watts is, is clearly the worst director in the MCU right now. I'm like, what are yeah, you talking I don't about? Agree with I have that. no idea what you're talking about. Um, like there's way worse people directing Marvel movies than, than than John Watts. He's made arguably two of the best three movies, two two of the best movies in the MCU in my opinion. Um, but hey, it's my opinion, and that's David Ellick's opinion. Whatever, take it for what it's worth. I'm not. A, I'm not a paid yeah. critic. He is. You know, he doesn't have the unique style or whatever of like a Taika Waititi or a Ryan Coogler, right? What they were able to bring to their respective movies. However, he, you know, they're again kind of like with the Russos. There is something to be said for somebody who can make this you know large scale of a movie and with so you know have so many plates to balance and mm -hmm. pull it off um and obviously that's not all in the director um but yeah uh you know he's he's definitely an important part of the equation yeah i agree i don't think he's quite as good as the russos because he can't figure out the action quite as well as the russos could no but um look i think between him and is it is it chris mckenna who wrote this? Yeah, Chris, Chris McKenna, McKenna yeah. Summers. Who wrote the Lego Batman movie? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, between them and and Feige and Amy Pascal, who's like the shepherd of Star of Spider Man at this point, um, they they figure it out. And the mo to your going back to your point, Scott, the most important thing about this movie is they they knew what kind like they knew how to handle a Spider Man movie, and that's ultimately what matters, right? Like all we can pray for is that. You know, the next time we have a doc, like we're having Doctor Strange. I think Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is the next movie. Like, God, like I hope Sam Raimi can make a Doctor Strange movie. I mean, no one even knows what that even means, right? Who cares? But like, I like it. it there is like an ethos to some of these characters. Spider Man is like more prevalent in you know culture and society and whatnot, and there's more of a I think a distinct vibe of what a Spider Man movie is. But it's nice that they that they understood what that essence was and were able to concentrate I mean it in a way. Sam Raimi can make a goofy, uh, you know, horror movie. So if that's where the, what is they want to do, with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Every again, this is our point. Every MCU movie is goofy nowadays. Like, yeah, Doctor Strange and Wong are cutting up in this movie as much as anybody else is, right? Like, I think, uh, I mean, I guess Wong's only in it for a couple minutes, but um, you know, yeah. he does what he does. But I mean, yeah, I'm sure that there will be there's there's just going to be humor in all these movies now we just have like this that brand of humor we just have to come sure. to accept that um yeah but you know again sam raimi his you know like i said he's good at doing goofy horror movies. it is what he na made his name off of with the evil dead franchise they're um, not selling so, dr strange as a goofy horror movie though yeah i i don't know what they're selling it as like again i, I don't follow this stuff as closely as you do well, you you, um, but, you saw what is essentially the trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness yeah. at the end of the movie. But it definitely has the potential to be that if that's what they want to do. And I think Sam Raimi would be able to do that really well. But how much are they going to let Sam be Sam, I guess? 
yeah, I mean, he's coming in to replace Scott Derrickson pretty late in the process in the grand scheme of things. So um, who's who's to say? But we'll find out. All that's to say is that they understood. They seem to have understood Spider-Man and how Spider-Man could really hum in the context of the MCU and respecting the franchise um, and its forebearers. So good on them. I hope they're able to figure out what that essence that people are looking for with Doctor Strange is and you know so on and so forth as well. Uh, Scott, talking about the Spider-Man, right? I mean, we're, we've already talked a lot in general, but let's talk about them together. Let's talk about Tom Holland. Let's talk about Andrew Garfield. Let's talk about Tobey Maguire. Um, where do you want to start? Um, I mean, I could, you know, we could cover all of them. I think that, um, you know, Tom Holland will never be my ideal Spider-Man or Peter Parker. Um He's good in the role, and I definitely understand people who are like, this is the guy for me. I wish I could point to one thing about, like, that is just keeping him from being the guy for, for me, other than, you know, he doesn't have the nostalgia, obviously, that Toby Maguire has. Um, because I think he hits all the major moments fine. I, he's just, like, a little too youthful, almost. Like, I know people always make fun of uh, the Tobey Maguire because he was so old when he, you know, was still playing Peter Parker as a high schooler, basically. Um, but I don't know. I feel like he is, you know, the grown upness, or you know, he really does grow up over the course of those three movies. And again, I like this movie because I think Tom Hawk. It is they are starting to make him grow up, right? I, certainly by the end of this movie. Um, He's starting to realize he can't have it all, right? You can't, you know, again, heavy is the crown that, or heavy is the head that wears the Spider-Man mask. Um, like it, it can be a lonely um, enterprise to be this guy. And, you know, you're not going to be able to save the world, be Spider-Man, and also, you know, have a perfect, you know, girlfriend, best friend, you know, your family life with Aunt May and everything is all great. Like it's, you can't really balance all that. That's just, you know, kind of part of what being Spider-Man is about. So I, you know, again, I think I like him as Spider-Man, as Peter. You know, they they make him get darker in the, you know, towards the end of this movie. And I think, you know, he probably does that more effectively, honestly, than uh, than Tobey Maguire did in Spider-Man 3. I mean, you know, that movie has a lot of problems. Um and, you know, when he's there and he's beating up Norman Osborn, I mean, you know, uh, that's that's a, you know, emotional moment. I I I get it. Like, again, I think he he plays the moment really well. I don't think I felt it as much because I did not I do not feel as strong of a connection to Aunt May to, you know, Marissa Tomei as Aunt May and the relationship that she has with Tom Holland and Peter. Um and obviously that's what that moment is all about, right? He's killing Norman Osborn because Norman Osborn was responsible for Aunt May dying. Um, so I guess to just stop you right there and I'll let you keep, and we'll shift gears in a second sure. to talk about the other Spider-Man. But, you know, I w I've been thinking about this too, because there, there's something for me too. It's like Tom Holland, he's great, but like, there's just some, it's something, it's something, right? And I wonder if it's that he doesn't necessarily feel like a Spider-Man first feels like an avenger first he feels like another cog in the mcu machine yeah and i think that that might be part of it like he doesn't really i mean that's feel how like... he was introduced right he was introduced yeah. in an avenger an avengers movie a captain america movie, like but an avengers yeah. movie yeah before you know he ever got his own standalone movie so i think that's a good point probably i think i think that's a good point i think that's why 
And I think that's why you don't feel the same connection of him with Aunt May, because his story's not geared around his personal life. His story is geared around how do I be a Spider-Man in the context of there's Avengers in the world, right? In the context of I'm also like 16 years old or whatever, right? Like it's not really about his family, which is what, especially that original trilogy was so much of it was about Uncle Ben, et cetera. Like, and, and he is like already Spider-Man, right? Like in spider-man homecoming so we don't really get like the origin, origin story. story as much either yeah yeah it gets um, referenced a lot which, she got bit by a spider you know again all of these things again the fact that spider-man you know the mcu is this cosmic thing right and spider-man is part of that you know cosmic yeah. equation that they have going on right now whereas you know the Raimi movies are much more grounded right like spider-man you know you see him going to the theater to watch mj's play you know and he's at school yeah. talking to dr connors and he goes and you know to the lab and has dinner with doc Ock. like these you just don't don't really get these scenes in the mcu movies because there's just so, you know the fate of the world and all of this is going on it's, yeah it, it does really feel like they have not been effectively able to isolate spider-man in a true standalone movie i know that they have in practice but like even in Homecoming, which is probably the most isolated of the movies, he's got Stark as his mentor. Right? Like yeah. In Far From Home, it's like everything post-Endgame. Right? Like he'd been, of, of he'd Stark, been to yeah. space. Um, everything just seems framed in the context of having this larger group of more powerful superheroes than him. And I think that's hard to then have this same authentically small story of Spider-Man to go along with it. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to have a different take on Spider-Man. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I think it's in some ways it's like nice to have a different take, right? Not just not just have a repeat of some previous exploration of what it means to be a Spider-Man. But I think it does mean that you don't have if if that is what you're used to, if that's what you're geared towards, it's understandable that you wouldn't have the same connection. Certainly, and I and I think certainly I was talking, I was talking to I can't remember if it was you or if it was Jay about this, like. The Aunt May scene, I, I wasn't super emotional during it either. And I think that's yeah, because we've not spent time together. It is not clear that Aunt May is actually important to Peter until that moment. You know what I mean? It's crazy, like, to think about, right? It, because, because I'm with you. Like, that they spent three movies, you know, two and a half movies building up to Aunt May do, giving the line, right? Saying, with mm -hmm. great power comes great responsibility. And yet, it hits harder in Spider-Man 02, when Cliff Robertson, who is in like 15 minutes of the movie, if that he's in like two or three scenes of the movie, says it mm -hmm. because, you you know, you get like a nice little scene of him and Aunt May hanging out at home. And, you know, they're being all fatherly. To, he's being yeah. all fatherly to Peter. And, you know, um, they have they have that sort of conversation in the, the car there. Right. And, um yeah, I, I mean, I, I just mean, think it, we, we know so little about Aunt May, too, right? Like, there's all she takes this whole I don't want to say it's a turn, but like, it is her personality, like in the comics and in the movies, to be this very giving person working at feast at a homeless shelter, things like that. Like, but it's just sort of like pops up out of nowhere in this movie. And you're kind of reminded that, like, yeah, Marissa Tomei is still this, like, you know, supposed to be this, like, aging, caring, grandmotherly. I mean, she's an aunt, but like, grandmotherly, like, figure. And she, it just it doesn't come off that way at all until this moment. And, and so there's some different there. But I also think that's why the emotional, moment, at least for me, at the end of the movie, those work so much better because those are the problems. Like those are the emotions that we've seen Peter go through over the first two and a half, two and three quarters, three movies of this franchise. Right. It is his relationship to Ned and MJ. It is it is his relationship 
with being Spider-Man in the context of all these other superheroes and all these other villains. Like those, those are the emotional journeys that we've been on with him in this franchise. And like, that is why that coffee shop scene and the scene on the Statue of Liberty with strange at the end of the battle is so like does emotionally hit and not the scene with Aunt May as much for me. Maybe it works for some people or maybe people are just choked up by maybe their nostalgia for similar scenes that have been in Spider-Man past. But for me, like what actually works in the movies is those, that stick with the themes of this Spider-Man and not try to harken back to the themes of the older ones um, in the context of Tom Holland's Peter, at least. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I definitely agree with that. Um, and, All right. you know, shifting Toby, gears, Andrew, who you want to talk about next? <laughs> look, I, I definitely think Andrew Garfield gives a really good performance in the movie. You know, I'm not a fan of his Spider-Man movies. I'm not a huge fan of his take on, Peter Parker and Spider-Man. This movie didn't change that for me. I still think he's a little too like goofy space cadet uh, version of of Peter Parker for me. Um, you think he's goofy in this movie in the same way in that like space cadet type way? I didn't get that vibe. But yes, yeah, okay. he just has I mean, like he's... this like spaced out like look on his face like all the time like that where i, I don't know it's just like it, it's just that might little, just be his face though i don't know it's a little no it's it, it's very like affected i guess like it's like he he is he's laying it on thick i feel like um he's acting but you might say he, a bit too much maybe but he's really good in the movie i loved his redemption moment right because Again, yeah. it doesn't even mean that much to me because I don't care about the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. I don't care about Gwen Stacy having died. Um, but Spoilers. he gets to save MJ in, yeah. in this. And it's a nice moment. You know, he lands and the look on his face is, you know, he na he nails the moment for sure. I'm glad that, you know, that that he was brought back. I'm glad that he gets his redemption moment. And again, I fundamentally agree with the premise of bringing him back and having him alongside the other Spider-Man and being as much of an important part of it as yeah. Toby and as Tom. Um, He's amazing. So it's awesome in that regard. Yeah. Right. There's a whole speech that there's a whole little motivational meta speech that Toby Maguire gives to Andrew Garfield. He's like, you're awesome. You're amazing. And you know, you're, he's clearly addressing, you know, again, on a meta level, the fact that the, Garfield movies are easily the most panned Spider-Man movies when it comes to, you know, fans, yeah. critics, delight. Especially these days. Um, it's funny because at still... the time, the Rotten Tomatoes, the scores are like not that bad, actually. But yeah, they, 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 you know, there are still the, a few fans of it out there. But um, but there, you know, to your point, I think there will be more fans. And, you know, in my theater, people cheered as much for him coming out yeah. of the portal as they did Tobey Maguire coming out of the portal, um, which was crazy to me but you know what i'm happy for those people and again i agree with the philosophy of the whole thing so what happens Toby when you McGuire, foster a, a a vibe of like just loving the franchise right as opposed mm -hmm. to like trying to define what the franchise is and isn't for people i don't know not to take another shot at star wars or anything but i guess i just did hey i'm right there with you um toby mcguire's fantastic um you know obviously just means a lot to me seeing him back there seeing him, you know, with the suit underneath the, underneath his clothes and, um, yeah. you know, that, that scene on the Stat Statue of Liberty where the three of them are kind of, you know, talking about um, what they've lost and yeah. Garfield losing, you know, Gwen Stacy and uh, Tobey Maguire losing Uncle Ben and, and, you know, connecting that with, with Tom Holland and what he's going through with having lost. Um, 
Aunt May. And, you know, again, the moment where Tom says, with great power, and Toby completes the line, says, you know, with great responsibility. And he's like, oh, how'd you know that? Um, it's great. Um, that that scene is great. And again, to the point we we're making, when they actually let, you know, the gravity of the moment, the emotion of the moment, you know, stick, and they don't try to punk punctuate it with a punchline, um, you know, A+. Plus. Um, and, you know, my favorite moment in the movie is... Toby Maguire and Alfred Molina share a little moment on the Statue of Liberty because Alfred Molina has been turned good at this point, right? So he kind of like shows up to help. Um, and it's basically, you know, he has been turned back into the Otto Octavius that we see in Spider-Man 2 before yeah, everything He's corrupted goes wrong by, because the, by the the honest, chip, yeah. the brain chip has been, you know, reset so that he's it's not controlling his brain anymore. Um, and I love that, you know, moment because I love that movie. It is in my top 100 favorite movies. I love Doc Ock, you know, Alfred Molina's Doc Ock, one of the best superhero movie villains easily ever. Um, and, I, you know, the, I love those scenes, you know, the scene really, it's really just kind of one scene, but where he interacts with Peter and um, in Spider-Man 2 before he becomes dr octopus and you know is talking about oh you're connor's a student you know brilliant he he tells me you're brilliant but lazy like the whole again it's the whole like fatherly he he he's set up as like this fatherly type character um which obviously you know peter is in need of after uncle ben dies um and then you know it all turns wrong so there there's this moment right where you know peter is grown up now um He's evidently made it work with MJ. I wish we had gotten more of that because um, I wanted to see Kirsten Dunst back. But anyway, um, and so, you know, you have the grown up Peter, uh, Toby as Peter, and you have Alfred Molina finally, you know, back to that Dr. Otto Octavius. And they share a little moment where he's like, Peter, you know, you're all grown up now. Um, and it, again, it's just a short little 20, 30 seconds, but it was a very emotional moment for me to, you know, get to see you know dr octavius again the kind dr octavius that we get in the first part of spider-man 2 um seeing this kid who in another life right in another world if things had gone differently could have been his protege could have been you know his guy um you know that he turned out all right seeing him as an adult it's it's a really nice moment again for somebody who loves spider-man 2 and those characters as much as i do um so i loved that i think toby mcguire nails that moment um it was just great seeing him back i mean you know they have obviously told him to tone it down a little bit i mean the you know earnestness again that he was giving in the raimi movies is not quite here but i don't feel still like pretty earnest though yeah, I don't feel like they did any yeah. injustice to yeah. him. Um, and, you know, Tobey Maguire, he doesn't really act anymore, right? Like, he's not in that many movies. Um, and, you know, some of that is apparently, you know, he's not the greatest person to work with um, from what I've, you know, heard. Or, you know, he's a little bit of a head case um, off, you know, behind the scenes on, on the set, stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean... I, it was just great. It was just great seeing him back. I mean, it was always going to be my favorite performance of the the Spider Man, and he definitely delivered what I wanted. Yeah, 
Yeah, for me, I, I mean, I've, I've said my piece about Garfield already. I, I actually have not seen either of his Spider-Man movies, but like I said, it made me want to go watch them, and I know I shouldn't. Um, but who knows? Maybe I'll do something diluted over the holidays and watch them. Um, Tobey Maguire, I haven't seen those Spider-Man movies in a long, long time, but he he captured the way I remember it, right? Like my in my head, the toned-down version of that as you describe it. And I mean, we I talk about... I mean, I think about this a lot in terms of how, like, it, it, going into like video games. When you remake a video game, the idea is to make something like how you remember it, not how it actually was. And I think that in this sort of metaverse, and I should say metaverse, that's a different thing, uh, multiverse bringing back of of Tobey Maguire, like having him be like how you remember, not maybe how, like you said, toning it down a little bit. That actually might be what people want the most. Um, and I think they do that really well. I don't really have too much more to add. I feel like you've said everything that needs to be said about it. It's a really strong performance. I don't have any complaints whatsoever. <laughs> the lab, the lab scenes were pretty funny um, for me with the three of them sort of interacting in, in the lab. And you didn't, you didn't like, Again, you the, didn't like the, the Ned whole... thing freaking out about. <laughs> the well, the whole like killing where yeah. he, where he's like Peter uh, and they're all like, what? Like, oh, you that's know, they're all yeah, like, no, that's Peter I was like, this is the most obvious, like, joke that you could possibly. No, I was thinking more of, I was have. thinking particularly about the joke about how Ned asking Toby Maguire if he had a best friend or whatever. That was so funny. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That one was good. Um, but yeah. yeah, I've tried to repress the, the Peter. Spider-Man Parker joke. Anyway. Scott, there's like other people to talk about in this movie in like 55 minutes in. Um, there's so many villains, Scott. Pick, pick you get one, you get I'll one hit, that's not Octavius. I'll hit it quick. I'll hit it quick. Jamie Foxx was awesome, um, as he yeah. usually is. Uh, and they they completely changed Electro. Like, I, I will say that this is probably the one thing where like they were like, no, you know what, we need to fix this. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because like, they even, and again, they even joke about, it. they're like, oh, you had like a comb over and all this stuff. Like what yeah. happened to him? They're like, no, we're just going to let Jamie Foxx be Jamie Foxx. And you know, who Jamie Foxx is, is, you Not know, a him great swaggering Dr. Star. Manhattan. Um, yeah. His, his moment about like, you know, I just thought you were going to be black. Yeah. So I good. thought there'd be a black. I thought for man. sure. That was that great. They were going to introduce Miles Morales in a post credit scene. Oh yeah. I was sure they were going to after that. Um, you know, it's, it's coming. It's coming at some point. And that's, so that no, was a nice the, tease. The next Spider-Man trilogy, if they have half a brain, it's going to be Tom Holland, Spider-Man mentoring Miles Morales. Yeah. Some I, I, that would be fine. Um, he definitely needs to come into the picture at some point. So he was great. Yeah. Willem Dafoe, love him. Uh, national treasure. Uh, yeah. You know, again, even though they did Sans that burrito. whole burrito joke, they let him be his campy self still. Like, he's still going the hard as everything. the yeah. mad scientist. Yeah, Norman Osborn, he's talking to himself. You know, he's doing the angel and devil, you know, side of this character. Um, and he's he's phenomenal at it and alfred molina you know again great as doc ock um exactly how you remember him and you know again for those two characters the whole central plot of we're going to turn the villains good again at first i was like "Eh." but then you know i i thought about it more 
really, again, I think this is like a central idea of Spider-Man. That, again, anyone can wear the mask. Everybody has this hero inside of him. That's literally the speech that Aunt May gives to Spider to, to Peter in Spider-Man 2. Um, and part of the reason why Norman Osborn and Otto Octavius, those characters, are such good villains are because they are not just pure evil. Like, we see the good in them before they become evil. And there's always this constant struggle going on, even within Spider-Man, right? Like within, it's going on within Peter and Spider-Man too, of good versus evil, like which side is going to, you know, take hold. I mean, again, the, the black Spider-Man gets, uh, the black Spider-Man suit gets clowned on that whole thing or whatever, but that's what that is about in Spider-Man three. Um, but, and so it, it ended up really working for me and, you know, it was great to see, like I said, it, obviously it was great to see Otto get his redemption moment, but the same for, for Norman Osborn, even though, you know, he does some evil stuff in the movie, um, you know, at the end, he, he recognizes Peter, um, and, you know, there's, there's a sense of regret about what he has done there at the end of the movie that I think, again, does justice to the characters. So they were great. The other characters were, you know, the other villains were fine, you know, not, some of the more memorable ones in the Spider-Man lexicon, like Sandman, like, again, I didn't really like the Sandman and uh, Electro introduction scene because of the visuals, but also Sandman, Sandman shows up and he's like, hey, it's me, Flint Marco, Sandman. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, because we forgot you. Like, you have to reintroduce yourself because nobody's going to know who you are. Um, and, you know, the lizard is fine. Reese Fonts is fine as the lizard. Um so, I mean, yeah, on the whole, the villains were all great. I love what they did with all of their arcs. Um, but Am I missing something, something, something here? Who is the sixth? It's a, it's the Sinister Six. Who's the sixth one? Is it Venom? Is that what it's supposed to be? I don't know. I don't know. I don't Topher, know. Topher Grace was, is still sitting by his phone, unfortunately. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, uh, it, the villains were great. Again, unsurprisingly, the best ones are you know, Doc Ock and the Green Goblin, but I really liked Electro and Jamie Foxx as well. Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to figure out, like, is it is it supposed to be Spider-Man himself being the villain? I don't know. It's supposed to be the Sinister Six. Where is the sixth person? Like, seriously, come on, guys, finish finish the six. You could have had one more in there. It would have been fine. Um, I don't Scorpion. know. J.K. Simmons, the Rhino. You know, they could have. Paul Giamatti, another person who's waiting by his phone, right? I mean, you saw that the silhouette of Rhino up up in the up in the multiverse cloud or whatever, for sure. I, I'm thinking J. Yeah. Jonah Jameson is the sixth in the Sinister Six. What do we think <laughs> about that? Yeah, I will say he didn't get enough. He he didn't get enough to do in this movie, unfortunately. I I was excited about it, at, you know, when it came into play at the end of Far From Home. Um, yeah. but he never, he never got to go on one of his good Jonah rants like he did in the, you know, in the original JK Simmons just was kind of there. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Um, look, I don't know if I have too much more to add. I feel pretty similarly about these villains. I love that it was Otto that got his, that got, that got to be the one that they fit, that they turned good, right. That yeah. cured his issues before things went, went to hell. <clears throat> totally in Happy's apartment. I was glad that he had his redemption. That was really nice. I really did enjoy that very much. Um, yeah, nothing more to add. Let's talk about the other, like MJ and Ned. I mean, they're in the, they are very much in the backseat on this one after the first 45 minutes. Zendaya continues to be really good in this, in this sort of very offbeat 
non-traditional MJ type character. I think that's awesome. I really like her take on the character. But again, there's really not much going on here, frankly. Um, after the first half hour, there's just there just isn't really anything. And same for Ned. Well, I mean, Ned has powers. That's a thing that happened. Yeah. Did you um, like that? That's a great. That's a great point. Did, did you like that? I feel like I'm going to be a little bit hypocritical here, right? Because I keep yeah. talking about how oh, I love this because everyone can wear the mask and everyone can be a hero. There's a hero in all of us. There is a hero in all of us. That doesn't mean that every person has to have superpowers. And I feel like again, well, it's not a superpower, is, right? Well, I mean, he's able to open the portals, right? Like, I mean, it's a it's the sling ring, though. You haven't seen Doctor Strange. Power. Well, whatever. Yeah. Um, he has a power of some sort because yeah. he can open the portals like Doctor Strange does. But um, it, I feel like again, it's an MCU thing of like, oh, we have like Rhodey, we have Pepper. We're gonna like just give everyone a super suit, right? Like <laughs> these yeah. people who don't, you know, aren't aren't the heroes. They're just kind of the side characters. They have to be right God. there in the part. Are you, of the are you negging doing there. Iron Man Pepper right now? Come on, don't do that to us. We loved that. Yes, I, I am. I am, Scott. Um, so, yeah, I, I I have mixed to negative feelings about that whole thing. Um, like, Ned can just be the, the goofy friend. Like, it's fine. He can like, be the guy in the chair. That's okay. We all, everyone he can be the guy in the chair. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I, and think, MJ, it's, I, I mean, think it's just weird. It's just really weird to me. Sorry. Just, I just find it really weird. No, you're that, fine. That he's, that he's slinging portals up with with strange's sling ring and like i don't know the whole magic thing i think it's interesting i really hope they do nothing with it going forward but they're probably he's gonna end up being some magician probably in like five movies or whatever actually who knows what they're even doing with this right because okay here this goes back to the ending i'm sorry i'm gonna get hung up on this they've forgotten who peter parker is but they should remember everything else that has happened right like he should know that he created portals. That he like he should know all these things. I don't know. Do they still know this? What's going on with this ending? I don't know. Celebrities Sorry, move on. Uh, what move do on, they know? On. Do they know things? <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's find yeah. out. Yeah, uh, let's find out. <laughs> Hollywood stars and celebrities. Um, yeah. yeah uh, I, I don't know, Scott. You're you're asking good questions here. I did like though that like it's Christmas at the end. They've forgotten who he is. It's a reverse. It's a wonderful life. It really is. Uh, like it, it's it no way home to Christmas movie. Not knowing who he is. It is. Yeah. Um, and MJ is fine. Like MJ is good. I mean, Zendaya is always great. Like she plays this version of the character really well. It's not yeah. the version of the character I prefer, obviously, but that's sure, fine. Sure. Um, I think there's just, you know, their relationship is built on too much like banter, 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 banter. But they uh -huh. have good chemistry together. Like they absolutely have good chemistry together um, because they are also together in real life. That may have something to do with it. But um, maybe. But yeah, I mean, Zendaya is, Zendaya is a star for sure. So Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Scott, look, there's more people we can talk about. We can talk about strange, we can talk about long, but let's, let's not. We're just talking we about people. That's, that's, yeah. that was this movie really. Let's, but, yeah. let's talk about Martin Starr's fandom for Spider-Man. <laughs> JB Smooth. Yeah. And Hannibal <laughs> Burris. That, I will say that, that scene I thought was pretty funny. Um, in it's, in it's outlandishness. Didn't, didn't do sure. anything for you, but I thought that the whole shrine to Spider-Man thing, that was really funny. Um, appropriately weird. It's so I'm sorry, not to cross over into Schmodon talk at all, but he really does look a lot like Adam Collins. It's it's so it's so funny <laughs> yeah, to he me does. how similar they look. Um but for that's probably what the first time Schmodown has come up on this podcast in 
a very long time and probably the last yeah. time I ever will. Um, we'll leave it at that. So, Scott, anything else you want to talk about? I mean, we talked about some of the battles. I'm, I mean, we didn't really give too much. We, I mean, we talked about Aunt May. We talked about, are there any big points we missed? Uh, they played the Talking Heads Izimbra in the first <laughs> oh, yeah, five yeah. minutes of this movie, yeah, yeah, which yeah. I was going insane when they started doing that. I was like, this is incredible. I can't believe that they're doing this right now. Am I watching a Mike Mills movie? Because they're just throwing in the Talking Heads at the start of the movie. Um which is awesome because it's a groovy song. Uh, so that was that was a nice choice. Good job, John Watts. Yeah, that was a choice. Um, it didn't strike me, even though I I did go with you to the Talking Heads uh, Broadway show, but it did not. But yeah, look, it, it worked overall. I liked, I mean, just to, to go back to the pacing question, then maybe we'll, we'll end with this. I liked that it felt like we moved along really quickly, right? Like I, I, I actually didn't mind at all that time passed rapidly at the beginning. Like they didn't dwell on like, I don't know, Peter being a sad sack going into his senior year or like two months, like two or three months past the beginning of this movie. Um, yeah. And I kind of appreciate that. I'm glad they didn't linger. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I think it was pacing was fine in the end. It, it was maybe a little, it took a little long to get to Tom or to Toby and Andrew, like, you because you knew they were coming and I was at a, there, there was maybe, you know, a 15 or 20 minute stretch where I was just sitting there like kind of drumming my fingers like, all right, let's get really? to it. Like, I know okay. it's going to happen. Uh, I mean, it wasn't like egregious or anything, but I was like, all right, we brought all the villains back. Come on, guys, let's do it. Like, I want to I want to see this. I'm not going to say it wasn't shoehorned in at the end of the day, getting them, you know, with these two to Ned and MJ. But I like that they didn't rush it. I like that they didn't like really like yeah. make you feel like they forced it in. Like all of a sudden they're popping out of nowhere or whatever for no explicable reason whatsoever. Um, I like that it was worked in or they tried to work it in a little bit smoother than just something as jarring as that. But I mean, I, I recognize you know, that they, they did just sort of like manufacture a way to get them into the same place. I'm not kidding myself over here. Um, but yeah, maybe it's just I like the way they did it. All right, Scott, favorite scene or moment from Spider-Man? No way home. I mean, we've t I've hit on the ones that I love the most, but Pick one. I do really like the very, very end of him swinging through the city right it's the classic spider-man ending um you know you get it in spider-man one uh i'm spider-man when he's swinging through you get it in spider-man two go get him tiger one of the greatest moments when uh, he just swings off him. but here you know again because of what happens at the end there is like a sadness about it as well like it's not just the g whiz like oh this awesome it's spider-man yep. um it's he's, he's lonely right he's there swinging through the city but it's just him he doesn't have anyone now um so perfect note to end the movie on yeah great shout great shout for me it is you touched on it briefly earlier but it is that scene on top of the statue of liberty where the three spider-men are all talking about the issues that they've faced and the traumas and the obstacles they've overcome together because there is that moment like right like a little bit earlier before that where Peter doesn't think anyone can relate to him can relate to and the fact that he's found two people who have been through similar traumas um, and they take it seriously. They don't crack jokes during this. It's a serious conversation that they're having where they acknowledge each other's pains and and feel heard by each other. I, I don't know. I thought it was a very like emotionally cathartic moment for a franchise that isn't often looking for catharsis emotionally. Um, among its characters. So I like that a lot. Yeah. Scott, do you want to put a score on it? You refuse to put a score on it on Letterboxd. I'll give you a pass. Yeah, I, th I think I'm going to take a pass just because, I mean, again, I don't normally do this. I don't like doing it. 
I think, you know, you can, I think people should rate movies. I just, I do. Um, but I, yeah, I, I just, it's, it's very hard. It's impossible for me to separate, like as a Spider-Man movie, this is close to a 10 as a, um, you know, Film. movie in general, it is yeah. close to a, it is in the six to seven range probably. Um, so it's yeah, somewhere in the middle there. You do it's the a three and a half star movie. If it's just yes. a move for a movie, for a movie, right? Like, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that. I would say so. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you on that. I hear you on that. Yeah. For me, it's an eight point two. It's a really good movie. It's the best MCU film so far this year. <laughs> they have put us out of our misery. We're not getting another one this, this year. Praise be <laughs> to God. Um, yeah. I <laughs> uh, still got one more episode of Hawkeye to watch uh, on Wednesday this week, but that's it. Um, <laughs> I say that as if some misery. Actually, I, I really warmed up to Hawkeye. I actually like Hawkeye a lot um after the first episode which i thought was really bad but scott that should do it for our discussion of spider-man no way home let's take a short break when we return we actually have a little bit more to discuss related to the business side of this movie we just reviewed and then of course our weekly awards update be right back Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It's Scott. As promised from before the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about Spider-Man No Way Home and that it's something we've alluded to already, but it smashed box office records post-pandemic in particular this past weekend, making a whopping $253 million at the domestic box office, uh, just completely overshadowing anything and everything that had been released. The biggest release before this in its opening weekend I believe had been Venom F9 two, right? or Venom two. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Venom two. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Right. it was Venom two and F9, Shang-Chi, Black Widow. I mean, those were the movies that were the big openers um, of the year. And just, I mean, just put them all to shame. Almost tripled Venom two's opening weekend at 253 million versus like 90 million, I think, or whatever Venom two had made. Um, it's pretty crazy stuff. But at the same time, there are plenty of people who are sort of decrying this as you called it the nadir of cinema earlier. Um, just sort of the, just the, the dark death toll of adult themed dramas, like ser serious movies as some might call them. Are, do you feel that this is as dire as that? Are we going to stop seeing as many theatrically released movies? What's, what's your take on all this? I don't know, Scott. I mean, I feel like you're 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 definitely more in touch with this type of stuff than I am. I mean, it doesn't this it doesn't seem good, right? Like it, yeah. I I don't see a world. It's not in which healthy. It seems good. It's not. Yeah, healthy. like like you said, like Nightmare Alley, a serious like awards contender by a big time art auteur director Guillermo Guillermo del Toro, who won Best Picture for his last movie, who won Best Director for his last movie. Um, you know a big time prestige movie for 2021 was basically just sent to die by the studios on the same weekend that Spider-Man came out. Right. Like, like that's not a good sign. You know, the same thing about the last duel, right? Like that movie wasn't set up to fail in the way that, that Nightmare Story. Alley was. Yeah. You're talking about like, you know, a huge legendary acclaimed filmmakers, Ridley Scott, uh, Steven Spielberg, um, making big time projects, right? Like a 
movie star A-list movie in the case of The Last Duel with Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Adam Driver, like A-listers, um, you know, in this, you know, action epic, right? Gladiator. I mean, he made Gladiator. Go back and look how much Gladiator made. Probably crushed um, when it came out in 2000. Um, and, you know, and then again, yeah, West Side Story, you know, again, remake of one of the most famous musicals of all time, an Oscar winning film, another huge prestige awards contender by a, you know, Mr. Populist, right? The most mainstream man of the people director that there has ever been in Steven Spielberg. And the movie just died in, in cinemas, like, you know, made next to nothing on its its opening weekend. Um, it's grim. Like, again, I, I, now I don't know if that translates to they're just going to stop putting these movies out in theaters altogether. Like, is that the logical endpoint of all this? Or is it more just a general, these movies are going to keep getting less and less attention in theaters like that. And that is disappointing to me, obviously. I mean, of course, I'm going to go keep seeing them as long as they are in theaters. Um, mm -hmm. I just hope that they remain in theaters. I, again, I, I don't want to be like super hyperbolic and be like, this is it. This is, you know, this is the end. Like, we're never going to see, you know, Red Rocket or come on come on we're never going to see a movie like that in theaters again because there's always going to be independent cinemas you know i feel like there's always going to be filmmakers yeah. like you know the sean bakers and all that who are making these types of movies um, i also think those it's movies just going to be hard different right like the, like talking about something it, like red yeah. rocket or come on come on like there's yes, a better market for that than there is the freaking last duel at this point like I mean, it's gonna make less. I don't know if that's true. I mean, there's gonna it's gonna make there's less. There's better money hopes than, than for those it, I guess is what I should say. Because and again, the reason because of for independent, that. yeah, yeah. So that, but like, and the reason for that is because those movies are made on such smaller budgets, yeah. right? Like Red Rocket was made for like less than a million dollars, I think. Yeah. Like Come On, Come On, I'm sure was made for more than that, but still, like, not a hundred million dollar Steven Spielberg film. And I think the truth is, is that a lot for a long time, people have talked about like, the erosion of like the medium budget film we don't talk about it very much on this podcast but that's an idea of like the 20 to 40 million dollar film doesn't exist anymore because you either have to be a, a small budget movie to make a return or you have to be a big blockbuster right but now we're seeing that like unless you're a particular kind of blockbuster you know you don't have your audience you don't have that audience anymore yeah and so i'm not necessarily I sure that those movies aren't going to get made i'm just curious when when they do get made do some of those start being made for less money? So West Side Story is, is a different beast, right? But like, does Nightmare Alley get made for less money? Does Last Duel get made for less money? Does something, is there a different House of Gucci. Is House of Gucci instead released day and date on a streaming service? Is it also sold to Netflix? Is it also is sold it a to mini series? <laughs> is it a mini? I've Yes. I think that is absolutely the question that people are asking themselves. And the truth is, is that to to be able to make a movie that costs a lot of money, more than $10 million these days, which is not that much in the grand scheme of how much movies are made for recently, you have to really think about what audience you're going to be able to capture in a theater. And that's that's a scary prospect. I don't know if that means yeah. that we lose a lot of these movies. I just think that the way that those movies are made or maybe the manner in which they're made is very different. Like. 
is it a miniseries? I think that's a great question. Is it a miniseries? I think, that, and a lot of that revolves around is like, can this be put on a streaming service? Can this be funded by a streaming service who doesn't require people to go out every weekend and pay $15 or whatever for a movie ticket to see two, a two and a two and a half hour movie or whatever? Can it instead be based around like how many people did, did we get joined to join? I don't know, like Shutter or like whatever, like, you know, whatever service, something X movie, XYZ movies going on. Like, for example, the humans did this earlier this year, right? The the A24 film that was sold to Showtime. Like, mm-hmm. how valuable is this to Showtime who needs new paid subscribers? Like, that is a question I think that's going to be asked a lot more when films are getting financed than historically has been asked. And historically, it's just been like, how many people can we get to put it? How many butts in seats can we put in seats is the question that's been asked historically. And I just think that calculus is going to change. So I don't know if it's as it's it's maybe dire for the theat for like as many movies coming out in the theatrical venue. But Scott, frankly, I think too many movies come out. like there's more movies that are coming out now in theaters than should. I think it's just true. Like there's more movies in the theater than we have time to see. Even someone like you and I who go see two plus movies a week in theaters. There's too many movies out to see them all. And I think we just need to, those things need to be more selective. I think and studios like they were 20 years ago are going to have to think really hard before something gets made to be put in a theater. And maybe that isn't necessarily about quality. I think that's where the problem might lie. It's not necessarily about being the best quality film to put into a theater. I think that the the math there is maybe something a little different, but I think that that calculus is changing. Um, unclear if it's going to be for better or for worse, but it's changing. Yeah, I mean, again, like when I saw Last Duel, my first reaction, and I'm pretty sure this is like the first line of my letterbox where I was like, I wish there were more movies like this, right? Like, um, you know, that, like you said, the mid-budget, like adult drama that is just made by people who know what they're doing. Um, And I think part of that to me also is like the 90s was the greatest era of movies to me. Like a lot of my favorite movies came out in the 90s. And these were the types of movies that were like ruled the day in the nineties. Um, you know, you could make a freaking John Grisham legal thriller and it would be a, you know, a blockbuster movie of the summer. Like the firm could be the movie of the summer and have, you know, this insanely stacked cast. Um, to to be fair, the last duel though is not a mid budget movie. That movie was made for a hundred million dollars. True. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's that, yeah, it just, it has the same type of feel, I feel. You know, like, this, like, movie star movie that isn't, like, you know, a franchise or action blockbuster. You know, it's it's just, like, a adult drama, basically. Um, yeah. But, like, know, the, I, I, the, firm, know, that, the Firm, right, that's a good one. Like, that's a $40 million movie in terms yeah. of what it costs to make. I would not say that it was... But it has, like, a similar... Like, that, movie cost, that movie only made $250 million in theaters. Yeah. It's not like that thing blew it out of the water. But... Yes, A-list stack cast. You can make something more like The Firm. I just think it has to be cheaper. Like it's That price is going to have to come down. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, having it on streaming only is better than not having it at all. But, of course, I want to have it in the theaters, if at all possible, because you know, it adds something. Like, these movies are important, too. Well, it's also scary for for theaters, right? Like, if the only surefire bets are like, you know, the big the big superhero movies, what incentive do you? Because there's have not going to be one coming out every week. Yeah. Well, is there? I don't know. May, or um, maybe there will be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. It's 
it's the scary. But like then if there's coming out every week, people aren't gonna go to the theater every week. It's just it's just yeah. it's just the truth. Like they're not. Um so I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it's change it's a changing landscape. If I had the answer, I'd be making millions of dollars telling people what the answer was. But that's my that's my two cents. Scott, let's talk about awards. Give us the update. There have been some recent uh nominees and also some recent award winners that you might want to talk about. Yeah, I probably won't be getting as much into the win as much into the winners today. Um, the LA Fair film enough. critics did announce their winners, um, and you know you can go check those out. Drive my car won best picture there. Um, Simon Rex won best actor. Just a few things off the top of my head, but um, Scott, the Golden Globes. Remember those? Those are a thing. Um, they announced their nominations. Of course, you know things are going to be a lot different this year with the Golden Globes um they are not going to be televised after the you know controversy last year with the racial makeup of the hollywood foreign press uh, you know reached its pinnacle nbc said forget it we're not doing this and so the golden globes are going to happen who knows how well attended they are going to be um who knows you know what the ceremony is going to be like uh but we won't know because it's not going to be able to be seen as at least as far as i know i don't know if they're going to try to set up some kind of live stream on the golden globes website or something um well it's but, crazy because they don't have the rights to nbc still owns the rights to it so i don't even think it'd be legal oh to yeah do that. so they're out of luck i guess um unless but they're still gonna NBC, happen like force majeure and they cancel their rights maybe i don't know i don't know the legal parts of it in in theory these are still important predictors of what is going to happen in award season so it's at least worth, you know, addressing them, I guess, Scott. Um, of course, they still separate the movies into categories, best motion picture, musical or comedy, and best motion picture drama. In the musical or comedy category, Cyrano, Don't Look Up, Licorice Pizza, Tick, Tick, Boom, and West Side Story. Getting in there. Uh, kind of, well, I mean, kind of disappointing, I guess, that In the Heights wasn't wasn't able to to make it in there but you are they already have three musicals in there which is which is kind of crazy it doesn't feel like you know we're getting like you maybe get one or two musicals usually in this category um but you're talking about you know Cyrano Tick Tick Boom and West Side Story all in there plus like I said in the heights like it wasn't even in there that is a fourth one that easily could have been in there um Although it did get a best actor in a musical or comedy nomination for Anthony Rama, so it was recognized. Um, best motion picture drama, Belfast, Coda, Dune, King Richard, and The Power of the Dog. Um, four movies that are almost certain to get a best picture nomination. Coda also, I think, is a movie that the stock just continues to rise. Um, I will say on the whole, Scott, again, I, I don't know how strong of a predictor that these will be, but I do think a lot of these movies I've talked about have a very good chance of getting nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. It's been a strong year for movies. I know you're very bullish on it having been a strong year for movies. But I'm not sure that the Best Picture field at this looking at looking at it now, I'm not sure if the Best Picture field is going to be as good of an indicator as what a strong year it has been you know as opposed to something like 2019 right like which was a great year for movies an amazing year for movies and also had an amazing lineup of for best picture nominees where many of the best movies of the year were 
in the best picture field. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here, you know, Belfast is a good movie. Coda is a good movie. Uh, Tick, Tick, Boom is a good movie. Uh, and to be fair, Tick, Tick, Boom is probably not really in the hunt for best picture. But just, you know, just looking at these nominees again, King Richard is fine. Um, none of these movies are some of the best movies of the year for me, Scott. Like, they're safe choices. Again, I think Belfast and Coda would be safe choices. They're very nice, crowd-pleasing films. They're well-made. Um, but they're just not, they don't, they don't kick it into the next gear for me. Um and, you know, I obviously King Richard, I feel even more strongly about is just, you know, pretty bland down the middle biopic. Um, and, you know, just just don't look up again. Another movie. I haven't seen it, obviously, but my feelings on Adam McKay are well documented. I just feel like a lot of the best movies this year are probably not going to be there Um when the dust settles and we have our best picture field, you know, the exception being Dune, um, which will be there. The power of the dog, which is not one of my favorite movies of the year, but I do think is one of the best movies of the year. And, you know, I haven't seen licorice pizza yet. I think that I'm going to feel pretty positive on it and like it deserves to be in there. West side story, totally get it being in there as well. I think that's, that is, that is a great movie. Um, but I think it's going to be a lot more of a mixed bag, I guess, than it has been in previous years where mostly the Oscar, nom- the you know, the nominees are really strong. And maybe you have like one or two at the bottom, like a Joker or a Bohemian Rhapsody or something like that. Like, I feel like we're going to maybe we're not going to have anything that's like really bad, because, again, I don't think King Richard is like bad, uh, although don't I guess look if up. don't look up. I mean, get, don't look up. Yeah. If don't look up gets in there, then that's something that could be like straight up bad. But you're just going to get a lot of kind of like movies that I don't really have particularly strong feelings about in there. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I'm going to ask a question. Scott. Can drive my car, get a best picture nomination. Can it? Sure. Will it? Will it? What, what's the no. chance that it gets one? No, I mean, I haven't seen it, so I, I can't say for sure. I, my impression of it is that it does not have the same sort of crossover mainstream appeal as something like parasite had but what does that what does it mean what does mainstream appeal mean in 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 this year what does that mean uh, yeah i don't know but you you get it doesn't have does, that does any movie have mainstream here. appeal dune is dune the mainstream appeal movie it doesn't have that kind of sensibility to it that yeah i mean maybe dune it doesn't have that kind of sensibility to it that parasite had right where you can go throw the you can you can go over to your your buddy who doesn't has never seen a foreign film in his life and you mm-hmm. can throw you can go over to his place and throw on Parasite, and everyone will be enthralled by it. Is Drive My Car that type of movie? Again, I don't know because I haven't no. seen it, but it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> no, yeah, that's no, what I don't know. But the harder so they I think fall, it's a harder time. Sure. Um, acting wise, Scott, uh, you know, some pretty standard choices here, kind of pretty chalky as again in terms of what I'm expecting to see at the Oscars. Ben Affleck getting a nomination for the tender bar was a pretty chaotic um, choice. Of course, this is the, uh, the George Clooney directed film that will be coming out, I think into the year, start of January, maybe. Um, But has not been getting in a week, maybe has not been getting particularly strong reviews. Yeah. Um, The best actress in a supporting role, Scott, honestly, like this is, 
it looks right now exactly how I would expect the Oscar field to look as of today with Katrina Balfe, Ariana DeBose, Kirsten Dunst, Anjanou Ellis, and Ruth Nega being the five nominees. Like that seems like where the Oscars are trending right now. And you know, Kirsten Dunst was the favorite at one point. I kind of think that both um, Anjanou Ellis and Ariana DeBose are trending higher than her at the moment. Like, I think it, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if a month or two from now we are talking about it being a two horse race between the two of them and Kirsten Dunst kind of having faded out of the picture. I just don't know. Which, which I think is about right, personally. Yeah, maybe. Again, I think Best Supporting Actress, again, is a really strong category this year. Just looking at all the movies that came out in 2021. None of these five people, or none of yeah, none of these five people would be in my five of uh, for best supporting actors. So, really, sure, because okay. um, you got both the mass people in there. Like, what's what's the deal? Ruth Nega is the would be the closest probably for me. Really, Although, I mean, I I did like Katrina Balf quite a bit as well in Belfast, but you'll find out when we do our awards episode, I guess. Um, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's a strong category. I, I don't think these are some of the strongest entries, even though, you know, they're all good performances. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, you know, again, looking best actor and actress, maybe not as strong of an indicator because they are so split up by drama versus musical or comedy. Um, Mahershala Ali got a nomination for Swan Song, which is a movie I've heard really almost nothing about. Uh, uh, it just came out this weekend. It's got great reviews. Yeah. Yeah, but it uh, just doesn't feel like it's anything anybody is talking about. But, you know, Mahershala Ali is awards fodder at this point. You know, he won Oscars on his first two times of asking. Um, so yeah. that, you know, he, he's got that kind of kind of buzz around him. Again, the best actress in a motion picture drama looks pretty close to what the Oscar field will probably be. Jessica Chastain, Olivia Coleman, Nicole Kidman, Lady Gaga, and Kristen Stewart all nominated there. Um, I would expect four of those people at the very least to be in the best actress at the Oscars. Probably again, as of today, can anyone from the musical or comedy category sneak in there? Maybe Rachel Ziegler, maybe Alana Haim. I'd say those are the two that have a slight chance, but, um, you know, I think we're talking about the dramatic actresses for the most part who are going to be there for, for best actress. Um, and then best director, um, Kenneth Branagh, Jane Campion, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Steven Spielberg, and Denis Villeneuve. Um, I think Maggie Gyllenhaal might be the odd person out there. If you're talking about the Oscars, um, not because she's undeserving. I think, you know, the lost daughter is a very well-made film. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if I see her getting the the fifth nomination for for best director. I'm you know I'm trying to think. I guess Ryusuke Hamaguchi. Who would who would get in there over her? Sure, maybe maybe Guillermo del Toro gets in there for Nightmare Alley. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I don't know if Nightmare Alley is going to be a factor in the best picture race. Probably not. But you know, Guillermo is is definitely a factor. Now that he has an Oscar, you know, he won his last time out. PTA, you know, wasn't nominated. Definitely um, I think he'll a get strong nominated. possibility. Yeah, definitely a strong possibility that he does at the Oscars. So um, yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens there. But um, 
that's the Golden Globe nomination. Scott, anything you want to add there um, about anything that I didn't hit? I'm still curious to see how Parallel Mothers plays. It comes out next week in the U.S., probably limited, probably not wide until later in January. But I do think Penelope Cruz has name recognition enough to potentially make waves. I don't know if Almodovar could sneak into a director's race necessarily, but I wonder if this, if that foreign language film, the international feature, if you will, has the potential to be coming out at the right time to make inroads. Um, like we're saying, drive my car can't maybe because it's not as quite as mainstream of a topic. I think parallel mothers might be a little bit more of the sensibilities that could wrap up viewers. Um, it certainly did me and I wasn't someone who necessarily loved Pedro Motivar's last feature, which I thought was much less accessible um, than Parallel Mothers and, was. And uh, Motivar's cast members do have a history. I mean, again, you mentioned Pain and Glory there. Antonio Banderas got nominated. I mean, Penelope Cruz herself has been nominated, I think, multiple times before for her performance. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Motivar movies. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and she did get recognition this past week at the LA Film Critics Critics Awards, where she won Best Actress, I believe. Um, look, I, I think it's possible. I don't know if it will happen, but generally speaking, I guess going back to the original point I was going to make, I don't know if I disagree with you really at all. Like, you know, I look at my top 10, top 15 movies of the year, you know, probably a couple of them get nominated for Best Picture. Um, it's been that kind of year. Yeah, maybe three, maybe three or four. But I think they're on the outside looking in, so to speak. Oh, well. Oh, well, that's just what we come to expect at this point. But, you know, I guess maybe we just hope that whatever our number one movie is in the best picture field, that it's it's the one that wins. But we'll see. Um, Scott, shifting gears a little bit before we finish up today, uh, I did want to talk about the Indie Spirit Awards, right, which are, um, you know, the what we often say are the Oscar, the cool Oscars, right? Uh, the, these are the awards that are often have the most satisfying nominations of award season. And I feel mixed, uh, I guess, more mixed than usual this year. Usually, again, I'm very positive about the Indie Spirit nominations, but I feel a little more mixed than usual. Um, nominated for Best Picture, the Italian film Akira. Uh, come on, come uh, on. Akira? Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, come interesting. On, come on. I saw I saw that at the New York Film Festival. I didn't even realize I was nominated. Yep, it was nominated. Uh, the Lost Daughter, The Novice, which is a, a film that just came out this week, um, which I'm actually very intrigued by. The setup of it sounds interesting. It's it's it sounds very Whiplash esque. Um, interesting. And Zola is the fifth nominee for uh, the Best Feature Prize, Best Director. Uh, Janixa Bravo for Zola, Maggie Gyllenhaal for The Lost Daughter, Lauren Hathaway for The Novice, Mike Mills for Come On, Come On, The Ninja Thyberg for Pleasure, which is a movie that uh, premiered at Sundance and has just not even been distributed yet, um, has not you know received a release. Um, Doesn't seem to have one on it, the horizon either, which is the confusing yeah. part. Very interesting. Um, looking further down. Scott for Best Male Lead, uh, Clifton Collins Jr. for Jockey, Frankie Faison for The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain, 
Michael Grayes for Wild Indian, another movie that was a Sundance movie. Yeah. Uh, Udo yeah. Kier getting nominated for Swan Song here um, over Mahershala Ali, I guess. And then Simon Rex for Red Rocket. Um, again, one of the things I disappointed about probably no Red Rocket for Best Feature, no Sean Baker for Best Director. Um, I'd have to go back and confirm to be sure, but I'm sure the Florida Project like had all the major nominations at the Indie Spirits. Just so you don't get clowned on, here. it's it's Michael Gray Eyes. It's a Native American name. Oh, okay. Um, I'm sure I was gonna really gonna get clowned on, but thank you. <laughs> um, best female lead: Isabel Furman for The Novice, Brittany S. Hall for Test Pattern, Patty Harrison for Together Together, uh, Taylor oh, Page for Jesus. Zola, and Callie Reyes for Catch the Fair One, which I have no idea what that movie is. But <laughs> also, sorry, just hearing Together Together getting a nomination somewhere. Just- that caught me off guard. This is so fun. I didn't look Although, at the Indie Spirit Awards first. This is hilarious to, yeah. to listen to. And again, I, I don't apparently that movie wasn't that great, but I did hear a lot of good things about Patty Harrison's performance in it. Um, sure, yeah. No, 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 I haven't seen the movie. To be clear, I just I was like, whoa, together, together, got a nomination somewhere. It's just like oh, so yeah. many great indie movies this year. <laughs> Why are these movies getting nominated? Um, Supporting uh, female Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter, uh, Amy Forsyth for The Novice, Ruth Naga for Passing. <laughs> Ravika Russell for Pleasure uh, and Susanna Sun for Red Rocket. Best Supporting Male, Coleman Domingo, for Zola. <laughs> Coleman Domingo for Zola, Miko Gattuso for Queen, Queen of Glory, uh, Troy Kotzer for Coda, Will yeah. Patton for Sweet Thing, and Chase Spencer for Wild Indian. So, Ooh, Scott, again, he... Wild Indian, it was a movie that played at uh at No, Sundance. no, no. I was trying to remember Did who you, Chase... Yeah. I, I saw it. Yeah, yeah, I saw it, yeah. Yeah, uh, I was trying to remember which one Chase Spencer yeah. is. Oh, okay. Tato, got it. With it. Um, yeah, so, again, here we're not really talking about, uh, you know, the potential Oscar implications sure, of sure, the Indie sure. Spirit Awards, because that's not really the point. Um, it's more, did our favorite stuff get nominated? And it's a mixture for me. Because, again, come on, come on, right? Strong at the top with uh, getting nominated for Best Feature and Mike Mills getting nominated for Best Director. But Joaquin Phoenix doesn't get nominated for Best Actor. Gabby Hoffman doesn't get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I mean, Woody Norman could have even gotten a a Supporting Actor nomination. Completely left out as far as performances go, which is wild to me. Um, And then, like I said, you know, Red Rocket not getting in there for Best Picture Director um, Mm -hmm. is somewhat disappointing. It does make me very curious about The Novice, though. I'm definitely going to try to check that out as soon as I'm able to. Yeah, fair point. Um, And I guess the last thing to point out here, the Robert Altman Award, which is like the overall type achievement award that they give out. It's like to recognize a cast, um, specifically like an ensemble type, I guess, award is going to go to Mass, which I think very well deserved. So um, I was glad to see... Mass gets some recognition. Again, maybe it's a little weird that none of the individual performances got nominated, but it's also a movie like, again, where it's just hard to single out the one from the cast because they're all mm-hmm. just operating at such a high level. But it is weird, though, because like it's goes. not it's not like like no individual part of that movie got nominated for anything. Right. No. Yeah. Not that I not that I see. Did it get a, a screenplay? Yeah, it did get Frank Kranz did get nominated for best first screenplay. So not not even best screenplay, just best first screenplay. Nice. Okay. 
I, I would uh, I would fancy it to win that though, alongside Wild Indian, Cicada, Test Pattern, and Pig being the other nominees there. I would probably say that Frank Krantz has a good chance of winning that. But you can rank the know. novice on iTunes. And hey, Scott Nicole Beckwith also got a screenplay nomination for Together Together. So there you go. I need to go watch this movie. Apparently, yeah, apparently so. All righty, Scott. Until next time, I'm sure we'll have another one next week. Uh, but that should do it for episode 171 of Some Like It. Scott, where can people find you on Twitter and Letterboxd? I'm at Scarby Dent. And you can find me at, at shelton 2013 over on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can also find our podcast on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. And check us out over there. If you can support us, we really appreciate that. But if not, that's okay. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about Spider-Man. No Way Home. We'll be back next week with a review of the next film, the long-awaited sequel in the Matrix franchise, Matrix Resurrections. Hey, we might have another movie just to talk about as well that I've seen that Scott hasn't yet. TBD, if we'll be able to talk about it then. If not, maybe we can talk about it the next week um, in the new year. But regardless, we hope you join us then. Until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. Going back to the Matrix. Thank you.